Welcome to the Juniper and Journey podcast with Keziah Ritter and Lindsay Heslop. We're so thrilled that you're here. This is a podcast dedicated to celebrating the strength and stories of women, good, bad, ugly, and beautiful in their own words. We believe in the power of real conversations, honest confessions, and playful nostalgia. You'll get to hear all kinds of perspectives from all kinds of women about all kinds of things. We'll talk about life and motherhood and loss and faith. We'll reminisce about the good old days, first loves, and old flames. This is going to be fun. Things might get a little rowdy, but we can guarantee that it will be meaningful, and we hope each woman's story inspires you towards empathy, compassion, and healing. Okay, let's get started. Hi, friend. If you love following along and getting to hear the brave, raw, beautiful stories of women, would you consider contributing just $5 a month to our Patreon? There's a small cost to producing Juniper and Journey each month, and we would be so grateful for your support as we hope to keep this space ad-free. As part of our Patreon fam, you'll get access to fun merch, exclusive J&J content, and other fun stuff along the way. Use the link in our show notes to become a Patreon member today. We're so thankful for each of you who tune in to hear these stories each week. And it's our joy to be on the journey with you. Today we are hanging out with my girl Gianna. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome. We're so glad you're here. I've actually known Gianna for a lot of years <laughs> a long time so i'm so glad that you're you said yes to coming and sitting with us today thank you yeah. i'm honored to be on your show i love it and i've i love you you've been a huge part of my life so i love you yeah, yeah. i'm glad you're here yes um let's jump right in we're kind of yeah let's get to it i would love to kind of go back and just let's hear about how growing up was and childhood and what was that like for you yeah. Um, I had said earlier, you know, my whole family, so I it's, do. it's pretty funny, but, um, so yeah, growing up was very unconventional. Um, my mom raised the four of us, my siblings and I on her own. Uh, my dad was around a little bit, but it just was not, um, a very good dynamic between them. Um, they were never married, which was extremely confusing to me and they never even lived together. Um, but they just kept having kids together. So, um, and their relationship was pretty volatile. I would say there was a lot of, um, just domestic violence and yelling and just physical stuff going on. And between both of them, it wasn't just more one than the other. Um, and so that was all pretty traumatic to witness growing up. And then we lived at, um, the house that my grandmother had owned in the house that my mom actually grew up in and she had full-blown MS and was handicapped and Keziah, you know, Grandma Jean, she was <laughs> a whole handful. And at that time, I think the family had um, all taken turns kind of taking care of her. And so my mom chose to move in and raise us four kids there and take care of my grandma. So um, it was pretty chaotic. I mean, obviously we had help from like my aunts and my cousins and people like you that were just always, you know, that's one of the highlights of my childhood was all of our friends and how close our cousins have stayed. And um, that really made an impact on my life because I think I just craved so badly, like um, almost just like, you know, the saying, like trying to be the person that you needed when you were younger. I just craved that like older friendship or companionship. And so that was 
that was definitely a blessing to have um, in our life. But yeah, it was tough. Um, we grew up on food stamps and we're on welfare and shopped at thrift stores before it was cool. And we, um, it's just a miracle that I'm even like kind of in this space able to talk about it because um, I think when stuff like that happens, you develop some coping skills that are not always the most healthy. Um, for sure. I can say that it's taken me a long time to be able to say that, um, and acknowledge that for sure. Cause I think I had a lot of resentment in my heart towards God, towards my mom, towards my dad, for sure. Um, and then towards other people who had quote unquote normal lives as a kid, mm. you don't know the difference. What, yeah. <laughs> what normal is like, you know, mm. oh, they have money. They go on vacations. They have a nice car. They have a, you know, a lake house or they have new shoes. And so as a kid, you don't really know the difference between um, normal or not. But mm -hmm. money made it look like, you know, made things look pretty easy. I'll, mm. I'll say that. So growing up with that lack and scarcity, I mean, we'd go over to my aunt's house to shower when our water would get turned off um, or get rides to school. And we didn't have a car to get to school in um, or, you know, ride with the neighbor to school because, my mom had to stay with my grandma or my little sisters. And so you just learn, um, you learn to get by. It's just a tough way to get by for a kid, not knowing. And I know other people have had it worse, but uh, just in my own walk and my own experience, it was, um, it was really hard. It was really, really mm -hmm. hard. And I was really, um, yeah, I had a lot of resentment for a lot of years and maybe I hit it well on the outside, but it, it, pops up in other ways or it, um, you know, it'll come out in other ways, but. Yeah. So as a kid, this like being on, on food stamps and needing help from neighbors, like, were you understanding all of that as a little kid or were you kind of like, this is just our normal. I don't know anything different. And it wasn't until like you get older and you start seeing how other people live that you go, Oh, maybe our family is different. Like, how did yeah. you understand all of that happening to you? I was pretty hypervigilant because when you grow up in trauma or something breaks in the middle of the night or you hear yelling or you hear something, it's like, okay, something's going on. You know that something's not right. Um, and I, and I knew, I mean, we didn't go to like a, a well, a wealthy school or anything. Like the other kids that I went to school with were maybe in the same situation as I was, but I did have other friends that I saw, you know, their house or their car or how they got dropped off or that they got to buy lunch every day and they were not in the government lunch line or. Yeah. And we also got, I mean, that really tough piece was that I, I, so I was aware of it. Yeah. I was super aware. And I was really, um, again, just like angry. I really wanted my mom to like meet someone and marry someone. I'm like, why can't you just give us a dad that will actually like stick around and be in the house and work mm -hmm. and, you know, provide for us. And I didn't understand all that stuff at a young age, really. Um, and then of course I was angry because there's not another parent at the house. And I think my mom struggled with depression, a lot of it. And I didn't learn that until much later in my adult life. The house might've been a mess, might've been very messy because there's no one else to pick up the slack. So I would try and help pick up the slack and do dishes and learning how to do laundry and learning how to cook at a really young age, um, changing diapers to help my mom out. And so like as young as like five or six. Um, so 
yeah, I was really aware like of the life that we were living and um, yeah, I just got really, I kind of just got really angry at God too. And I, not that I didn't love God and I didn't, you know, um, believe in him. I just did not trust his plan for my life at that point. And I pretty much made that decision pretty young, like, because I just remember like, why can you not, you know, if my parents can't get along, why can't my mom just meet someone nice? And, um, and eventually she did, um, kind of another pivotal point that I don't talk a lot about in my adulthood because it's really painful for me. Um, she did meet a man and she introduced us to him and she never dated anyone, um, ever. I never saw my mom date anyone other than talking about my dad or cause they had known each other, each other for a long time. Um, and I prayed, I was like, God, can you just give us a father who will be in the house and who will provide for us and who will love me and love my mom and love my sisters and just make things easier because it was hard watching my mom struggle. I just thought, man, I don't want to struggle and, um, it's rough. So yeah, she told us that she met this man through church and I was, just immediately enamored with him. He was just this really warm, um, kind, sweet guy. Um, he was like kind of a man's man. He had two sons and I think he was divorced. Um, but I just saw how he treated my mom. He treated her extremely well. And I was like, oh, God answered my prayers. Like, this is it. He had a nice house. I'm like, I'm moving in here. <laughs> All of us are moving in here. And this is it. And he would take time to get to know each of me and my siblings one-on-one and I trusted him. I felt completely safe with him, took me shopping, um, would buy me like new shoes and things that I was like, Oh my gosh, my mom would never buy this for me. You know, Mm -hmm. like cool, you know, whatever girl wanted like lipsticks and purses. And he was just such an amazing man. Take us all out to dinner. Um, we would go over and like spend weekends or time with him. And I just loved seeing my mom light up because she was going on dates and he was just like very respectful of her time with her kids and because he had kids of his own. Um, but I noticed, um, I think I can't remember if she had told me, but I learned later on that they kind of stopped seeing each other for a little while, which I was like, where is he? When are we going to see him again? What is going on? I didn't understand. So I start getting you know, really angry and upset. Why I did not understand. I was like, I want to go over there. I don't want to be here. And, um, so they stopped seeing each other, I think, because my dad found out about it and he was, even though he had his own life and a girlfriend or whatever, um, you know, was being a little too overprotective or overbearing that my mom was seeing a, a man or whatever. And so maybe found out where this guy lived I think, and something happened there. So my mom told me later on that the guy told her, I don't want to see our kids suffer because of our relationship. Um, so they stopped seeing each other. And, oh man, <laughs> sorry. Yeah, and then um, he actually passed away suddenly. He had been, didn't know that he had a brain tumor. And so... That hurt pretty bad because I just thought um, that was like the only other, I don't know, it was just the only other father figure I had in my life that 
he was like a God-fearing man. He always prayed with us. He always took us to church. And it was hard. It was really devastating. And I think from that point, I developed um, just pretty heavy, like, abandonment issues and um, maybe unhealthy attachment issues to people, whether it be friends or boyfriends later on in life or jobs um, or putting myself in situations that probably weren't the best. But that kind of spiraled into... um, a point where I was just like, yeah, God, this is, you know, why doesn't God want me to be happy? Why doesn't he want me to have a normal life? Um, after well, that, it was like, you got a taste of like, yeah. oh my gosh, somebody kind of being steady or like reliable. Exactly. Um, and then you almost start to maybe let your guard down there. Yeah. And then gosh, it gets kind of taken away. Yeah, and I then you're like, Ooh, this is possible. Right. Like could I could this- have a different life. Yeah. And feeling like God ripped it away yeah. again. Yeah. That was just, that kind of started, that was kind of a jump off point for me to where I'm like, okay, two things. I never want to, um, I never want to live like how I'm living as this, you know, this way, like as a kid. And I, and I was a kid at that point. But I just knew I wanted something different. So that's where I was just like, okay, what can I do to get out of this situation or to just break this cycle? And two was, again, just that kind of those abandonment issues where I just like clung to everyone that I met after that, whether it was a guy or a friend or a job or an experience. Um, It's just a way of coping, I guess. Mm. You just get so afraid of losing people. So as you're growing up and you're becoming a young adult and you're going, maybe I have some freedoms or control or decisions I'm able to make. What was propelling you? Like where, where did you want to go and what did you end up trying? So we got a little older and I decided to switch schools, I think. So I went to my first like public school from a charter school. My mom had been starting a business at that time. And so I went to a public school and again, it was in a wealthier part of town. And I'm like, oh man, I, these people don't have any idea where I grew up. Like I'm a fraud here, you know? Mm -hmm. And so everybody wore Abercrombie and all these nice clothes. So I'm like, mom, I need a job because you don't have money and I need money to buy this. And she's like, you're 15 years old or 16 and <laughs> absolutely not. And I'm like, okay. So I waited till I was 16. And I asked again, I'm like, mom, I really want a job. So I got like a hosting or waitressing job. And I don't even think this is illegal, but anyway, I drove this like old boat car that we got <laughs> from my aunt without a license. And that's when I really started having more freedom because my mom was like, I can't be in two places. So just drive this car to school and that's it. Or to, you know, school and work and that's it. So I would be 16, no permit, no license, getting myself on the highway, driving to school. And oh, it was just crazy. But, you know, so she could take my other siblings to school. So I started having a little more freedom. And I'll never forget, I had friends in the car from that school. And I was like, I'll drive to lunch. And we were all talking. And he's like, well, don't get in an accident. He's like, you have your license, right? I was like, no. He's like, wait, you don't even have a permit? I'm like, no. So he's like, what? He's like, what is your mom thinking? I'm like, okay, relax. You don't get it. Yeah, you don't get it. 
So I started having more freedom. And so with that came like, you get invited to parties at a big public school. So I'm going to parties and I start drinking. I just what kind of went off on a on a path there where I was partying a lot. And I was a good student. I got pretty good grades and everything. But that was definitely, I, I was rebelling a little bit because I wanted to be a kid. So much of my life had been full of responsibilities and helping my mom and pretty much being the second parent in the house that I was like, oh, now is my time. So I think I started um, at that high school. And this is how I kind of transitioned into the modeling piece was that they did like a pageant at that school. I ended up winning and I'm pretty sure I did like fundraisers, sell candy bars to even buy a dress. Like I'm like selling them to my family to even buy a dress to participate in this. Had no training. I had nothing really. We just kind of went into it and I ended up winning this pageant. And they're like, oh, well, you could really have a career in modeling if you pay this much money and like <laughs> do this photo shoot. And I threw a, fi- I like begged my mom, I'm like, this is finally my chance and you're not going to let me do it. I feel so bad. I don't even know what she had to do to get that. If she was like, I think she might've had like a telemarketing job and her other business that she's trying to start to pay this ridiculous amount of money to get me a photo shoot. The photos were horrible. And I'm like, <laughs> yes, this is my chance to make it. <laughs> Do you still have the photos? Oh, yeah. They're so, I, I used to post them on like, MySpace and Facebook. Like, I was so cool. It was so bad. Incredible. And my mom is just there, like, mama bear in the background of this, like, hotel lobby watching me. They, like, come through and they scout you. It was such a scam. I felt so bad. But that's how we learned. But... Um, from there, I forget how I even got invited to do like a fashion show. This might've been when Facebook first became a thing. Uh, I don't know. And I'm pretty sure you were at my first fashion show. Mm -hmm. It was like a, a nightclub. I was probably 16, but yeah. So I remember that vividly. And then from there was getting invited to do other fashion shows around Denver in nightclubs while I'm in high school and I'm like, oh, I can do that. Pretending to be, again, I had no issue pretending because I drove without a license for a year. Um, (laughs) It was so bad, but yeah. So, and I remember one of them, um, I would invite my high school friends to these fashion shows, which is so dumb, but, and just, we would go before the club was even open and they're not around anymore now with these clubs, so I can talk about it. Um, But anyway, yeah, and we would just stay there all night. Like when the lights were on, you know, when they were just cleaning and getting the bar ready and stuff, there's no security. And we would just stay in all night so that no one could ID us pretty much. <laughs> and my mom came down one time and found me at one. And she was so, yeah, she was so angry. She's like, what? It was a school night. And I'm like, yeah, guys, I'm going to be in a fashion show. Like to my FBLA club at school. <laughs> I'm like telling them, they're like, this is so cool. <laughs> I'm like... <laughs> Oh my gosh. So I'm like moonlighting as a model in Denver, but yeah, not paid by the way. None of these are paid. You're getting like a free shirt. And I'm like, this is so cool. This is like literally my dream. And then I'm like hosting and waitressing during, you know, my other time and helping out at home still. So, but yeah, that was really my first taste of like modeling. But I just remember that like you know, and then people are offering you drinks at those after parties and I'm drinking and it was just like, you meet older people and I'm like, wow, these are my people because they're just like, you know, they accept me and nobody asks any questions about where I'm from or what, you know, you just get to be whoever you want pretty much. And that's, I think what a lot of people that go into the entertainment industry, um, you know, suffer from later on because 
a lot of them, at least that I know of, come from places of scarcity and lack and being told you're not, or, you know, feeling like you're not enough. And then you literally go into an industry that tells you to your face you're not enough. You're not good enough for this part. You're not tall enough. You're not skinny enough. You're not, enough, you mm-hmm. know, and it just does a number on your psyche that it's just, it's horrible. I just feel like they victimize this whole group of people that do have talent and are good looking or great actors or singers, but they kind of prey on those vulnerabilities Mm. a little bit. So that's where I got my first taste of modeling and that world of just freedom. And, um, I mean, they were fun. It was like, plus we also all used to watch top model together. I mean, have, yeah, yes, we did. (laughs) Did she tell you that we had huge watch parties, like all of the cousins on the floor every single week, every (laughs) single season, it was huge. Like everyone watched it. We were just like, Oh my gosh. Th- that's so, it's so funny because now I think back, I'm just like, we used to TiVo it. Uh, yeah. We just, <laughs> we went hard on that, yes, on that did. TiVo. Yeah, we, we did. did. We went hard on that TiVo. <laughs> Amazing. We did. Yes. So that was my first transition into modeling and being noticed and being, you know, treated differently than I was treated growing up. I wasn't, you know, you stand out more. I guess you feel like a little bit of a bigger fish in a smaller pond here or in Denver at the time. One of the funnier moments that I do remember that was very recent was I was probably a senior in high school and one of the shows you had to like, it was a little risque and I graduated younger because I skipped a grade. So I was only 17 when I graduated, like went into my senior year at 16. So all of this is happening while I'm that age. So I'm backstage and it's a little risque and they're like, uh, it's a huge show like for Denver fashion week and, or for a magazine or something. And I got picked to be in it. So anyway, backstage at this fashion show and they're like, bring, um, something black and like sexy. And I didn't own anything black and sexy because I was a high school student and you know, any like lingerie or whatever. I don't even know who I borrowed this stuff from, which is so tragic. But anyway, I'm like borrowing like all this like sexy stuff and it's basically your underwear and like a garter and then they put like this big jacket on you and that was the show. That was your outfit that we had to supply ourselves with. So anyway, um, my hair is teased out to high heavens and I have glitter on my face and I hear Gianna and I'm like, who is that? I turn around. It's my English teacher. (gasps) It is my AP English teacher. Are you just horrified? I'm horrified. And I'm like, Miss Doffer, what? Why are you here? And she's like, I I think we're both just stunned. And then she, after, she was really funny. Like she was one person in my, in my youth that I remember. She just fought super hard for me. She would kick my butt in class. If I didn't remember something, she really pushed me. And I love that class. It was an AP English class. Um, so shout out Miss Stoffer if you ever hear this. And she, I feel like she might have announced one time like that I should go on top model in high school. She would always just be like, this boy is not good enough for you. Why are you dating him? You have a modeling career to think about when I'm, you know, in high school. I was like, okay. So I bump into her. Thank God it was her of all people, of all teachers to see because I would have been mortified. So we take a quick picture. And I just remember from that point, I was like, oh man, because I did care what people thought about me. Like I did have, you know, I grew up in a religious home where there were convictions and things inside of me that were like, okay, don't do anything crazy. Or at least that anyone would see, you know, which is also not a good 
behavioral thing to develop where you're like concealing parts of your life from people. It's like not ideal, but it is a way to, you know, cope. But yeah, so I saw her. That was a pretty sobering moment. I was like, oh no. And the <laughs> next you, day in class, I'm right? just like, see you tomorrow. Yeah, see you tomorrow in class. I'm literally just like, oh. yeah. Yeah. So that was really my kickstart into modeling was just doing shows as many shows as I could around Denver and you know, kind of getting my sea legs there. And then I was just working three, two, three, four jobs at a time trying to make ends meet. I don't know what I was looking for then. I, I knew that I wanted to break out of the cycle that I had grown up in. And I wanted to, I looked at modeling as like, okay, because people were telling me, oh, you could go to LA, you could go to New York, you can go to Milan. And I'm like, okay, great. But all of that stuff takes money. How am I going to have the money to do any of that? Um, to get signed, everything that I knew about modeling was like, okay, well, you have to have an agent. Um, you have to look a certain way. And it takes a lot of money because you have to sometimes front your way. I made that decision like, okay, that's what I'm going to do instead of college. Like college will always be there. I gave myself that whole speech. And this is when they had paper applications for top model from the CW website. You had to download a 30 page application and hand fill it out. And I think, I don't even think I had professional photos. Like I didn't know what a comp card was or digitals. And my mom and I are like in her office trying to take photos of me. And they were, I love you mom, but they were terrible. <laughs> They're terrible photos. They were like bluish. They were like on those old, like two thousand early two thousand like digital cameras because like, our yeah, phones didn't got have one them. for Christmas. <laughs> yeah. Oh, those are the best though. On, yeah. With the flash in a yeah. club for some reason. But yeah, so we try to take those photos of me up against a wall, and we're like, oh yeah, these look great. Like these are <laughs> send them in, <laughs> send it. So, and she was just such a good hype man. She was like, oh, you look gorgeous. Like it's you know. Little did I know what would come of that. So we send it in and I hear nothing for like two months. And then I get an email from someone who says, oh, I'm a scout and I got your application in the mail. And I'm like, yeah, right. He's like, don't delete this. He's like, I'll call you right now. We have your number. And he calls me and he's like, no, we read your, you have to handwrite paragraphs about yourself. I felt like I was taking like a test. You're handwriting paragraphs about yourself and he's like, okay, well, I'm going to take this to the producers, to the top. And, um, we, the next steps would be, um, could you, could we fly you out to LA in January? At this point, I think I just turned 19. So I said, yeah, you can, I can fly out. Um, and I said, well, what would that look like? And he's like, well, that you would just meet the casting directors and then you would go home. And then there's another round where if, if, if the casting directors that see you in person like you, then we fly you out. And if you make it on the show, just be ready to pack for, you know, three, four months, whatever it was, uh, because you won't be going home. Hmm. And he said, oh, and by the way, do you have a passport? And I'm like, what's, pa-? you know, we never went, we never went on vacation other than to Kansas. Like I never went <laughs> anywhere outside of the States. So I rushed to get a passport because he's like, you need to bring it with you in case we do keep you because there is an abroad, you know, destination that we do on every season. I'm like, where do I go? So I go to like 
put on all this makeup and get all ready for my passport photo and oh man my spray tans everything it was so great I love that photo it's yeah, and so you funny. have to pay for the passport oh yeah oh yeah and I had to pay for the passport so I'm like they're how much and then he's like you might want to get it expedited because they take forever to get in and I'm like oh my gosh so already at that point it was like just very it was happening really really quickly it felt like so I fly out to LA take my paper application with me. They send you another one. They put you through IQ tests, um, psychiatric evaluations, blood work. They do full like health screenings on you, talk screens, everything. I go and you get dropped off. They say show up at 7 a.m. And I ended up staying there until 1 a.m. the next day. You, same clothes, one little bag I packed. Uh, you couldn't even leave for food. There was no food there because if you lose your spot in line, like you don't get to see the casting directors basically. Um, it, and it was the guys and girls season. So it looks like it's a casting call for American Idol. And I'm like, why are there guys here? I, I did not put all that together when I was applying. I'm like, this is super bizarre. So someone comes and grabs me out of the line. I'm still outside on the curb, like not even near the entrance to where the casting was at all. And he's like, show me your, your email. And so I held up the paper email that I printed out and it had like a stamp on it that said I could like cut the line because I had been scouted from, from that. So I get brought in and they have cameras rolling. And this is like my first huge, you know, premiere. They have the big CW stamp on the side of the thing and of the cameras. And I'm at Universal Studios and someone's like, did you guys see uh, James Franco's mom in the elevator? And I'm like, what? Like, <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, I didn't know what she looked like. I'm like, that's so cool. Like, so starstruck. <laughs> I didn't know who that was. <laughs> they have some of the judges walking around. Like, I at that time, I didn't know who any of the judges would be. They don't tell you or reveal it. So I'm thinking it's going to be Nole, Nigel, Janice, you know, all, all of them. All, all of them. The Miss classics. J. Yeah. <laughs> And I'm like, who are these people? Who are good people? But I just didn't know. It was just a, such a different experience, I think, from the seasons that we watched growing up. Mm -hmm. You know, so different. So I end up getting to go in front of this casting director and they take you, they give you a number and they stick it to your shirt like American Idol. And that's how they call you. Numbers this many through this many. It's a cattle call. You know, 100 people at a time. And only two people would come out with the golden ticket or whatever it was in oh their hand. Gosh. So I end up getting a number. And I'm like, okay, what does this mean? So they said, okay, well, if you get this number, we will be in touch. I flew home maybe a day later and I had the number. And so my mom was like, well, what does that mean? And so they said, they're, we're flying you back for the final round of, of auditions in two months or something. So I had to tell my work, hey, I'm going to try out for the show. And um, I said, if I make it, I'm going to be gone for a few months. So long story short, they fly me back out and I make it through the first round and I make it through the second round and then I make it through the next round. And finally, um, and that whole time when you're in that round of, um, the application process and you're getting all your blood work and your IQ tests done, they have you locked in a hotel room. They take the key. You cannot leave. You're on quarantine. Literally they would bring your food to your room. So I was alone with my thoughts and no, you know, I had, no phone. They go through your whole bag. They take anything that, you know, potentially could be harmful to others in the house, which is totally understandable. Take your phone. So I sent my mom a text, talk to you in three months or when I talk to you, I love you. Like I can't have my phone anymore. And they take it the whole show. You don't have your phone from start to finish. So that was extremely hard. You have that part just shoom, cut off. 
and then you're in a room alone, whoom, cut off. I, I don't even think I could have my clothes. I said, pick some outfits, but we're going to come and go through your clothes and tell you what to wear. So I had all these strangers, all these producers, and then Kelly Catrone and a camera guy come in my room or something like that come in the room. And they're like, yeah, what do you think about these three outfits? And I'm like laying out everything from Forever 21 that I was like, Here's what do you guys stash. think? Here's my yeah. best. <laughs> <laughs> ah. I'm like, oh, they're going to love this stuff. Bless my own heart at that so age. At point, have they told you at this point, like, you've made it through or you're just still going like I just go to the next thing and yes. I have no idea what's next or if I'm just like yes. still in this they haven't really said no they whether can't. you're in or out yet you're like no. I'm just no. in this hotel room <laughs> doing the next thing yes and I forget how long I was there it was at least a week if not a few days yeah they they finally came back one day and they were like okay well we're gonna pack you up and they said okay if you've made it this far we're gonna start filming pretty much and you sign your whole NDA you sign all of your paperwork because at that point that got real I was like okay they're making me sign stuff like you know saying that you can't say anything if you make it on the show or you'll get sued and all this so we show up and that was the challenge in the very first episode where they have the guest runway where you're walking down the side of a building like bungeeing from your hips and they said pretty much anyone who says no to this challenge is out you're out right now so I'm like oh I can do it and i tumbled the entire way down, but I was like, I'm not going home. So that was how I made it. And then if you made it through that, then you would get driven to the house, which was in, um, somewhere in the Hills. It's like, I'm totally spacey on the name, but anyway, they take you and it's a whole setup house, like for the real world, everything's staged it's kind of like you know there's cameras in every corner the bathrooms are the doors don't close all the way there's no doors on the shower it's it's completely set up so that if they need to pick up a camera and run in you know they can Mm -hmm. they can hear everything it was a lot though it was just like for not knowing anyone or anything we it's like the intro scene and that season where they have everybody like doing the you know whatever their pose the intro that was a whole um episode in and of itself like so you're like on the show before you know know you're on the show yes yes before you even know that you're going to be in the house right and one of the final 16 competitors like did not know there were eight guys and eight girls and i made it down to eight of the girls chosen it was quite the experience and then i made it in and um they made another round of cuts that first episode from like 30 down to 18 down to 16 and they were like, congrats, you guys are the final 16 competitors. And I was just like, wow, this just got so real. It got so real. The whole experience was just crazy. The, the mornings were super early. You wake up, you can't even use the bathroom without getting mic'd up first. You have to pick up this phone that was in the laundry room. It was called the bat phone. And they would mic you up. And so there's no privacy. You're sharing a bathroom with eight people, eight girls. Cameras could walk right up. The, camp, the shower doors were clear, big clear shower, which I thought was really weird and not, I was not cool with that, but I, I'm like, you know what? I only have five minutes to get ready. So whatever, <laughs> um, what they do with that footage. I don't know. Why would they need that? I don't know. But, um, yeah, so that was pretty wild. I think we had to pretty much fend for ourselves as far as breakfast went. We got like a per diem and you can send, you can go to the grocery store. You just give it to a PA and they do your shopping. So I was super out of my element. I'm like, 
I'm sharing a fridge with 15 strangers. Half of them are guys. I never lived with anyone other than my brother before, you know, and super bizarre. And then you're loading up onto the bus to go to your challenge for that day. And you just have a camera on you 24 seven. And I just, I think it really just started to take a toll because at that point it had already been like a month and a half of no contact with my family and, or friends or, um, anyone that I really knew or felt close to. It's a very bizarre experience. Yeah. Were you, so as one of these eight women, was there a moment where you're like, I'm going to maybe, I'm going to do what I can to like win or to keep going? Or is it just like, I can't even believe I'm here. Like in your mind, it's a wild. This yeah. is wild. Mm-hmm. I'm losing losing it over here <laughs> listening to this. Yeah. Because watching it, my perception would be you walk into this with a really clear goal and going like, now I'm going to do what I can to win. Because the show's set up to be a competition. But then hearing you talk about this, I'm like, you don't even know. You don't even know you're on the show. And then at what point do you and decide? put you in a shuttle. I just, yeah, and now I try to you. win or like. Yes. No strategy whatsoever. It's wild. It is wild. Um, I think that's where a lot of the psyche valves come into play because they cast people who they, I didn't know at the time they're casting characters and they're casting personalities. And every day was a surprise. There's really no way you're only two, as you know, the only two ways to get ahead is to have best photo and to kill your photo shoot, whatever that would be. And if there's a challenge to win the challenge, like go sees, but I, I didn't make it to the go see part. I got cut right before that. Um, but they're also mixing in guys to it. So they try and make it, they try to make it look like I had this like crush on one of the guys on the show. And I didn't know what was going on at the time, which in the long run, I think maybe hurt a couple opportunities for me afterwards in modeling, just getting picked up by agencies because people claim they don't watch top model, but they watch it. Casting directors, um, bookers, designers definitely watch it. And if you're portrayed a certain way on a show, um, which I don't think I was portrayed horribly. Like I've got pretty good feedback online. It was just the piece where they had maybe been trying to make it look like I was like pining for this dude on the show who, from what I understand was like homeless at the time and just was like a unique looking guy. I mean, whatever. And we were honestly more friendly than anything because I didn't get along with a lot of the girls in the house. And I wasn't like, doing corny stuff like you know to get airtime as we called it being extra I would just kind of sit back and like watch these at least I had that much you know self-awareness to not do anything really risque or crazy on tv to just get airtime um because I did take it seriously I did think it was a competition you know whatever the challenge is today I'm gonna win whatever the photo shoot is today I'm gonna win but by that point unfortunately I feel like with this season it was a little tainted by the reality TV craze, it was not like what it used to be. As far as I can tell, that's pretty much been the consensus that all the photo shoots were pretty lackluster compared to previous years. They weren't very couture editorial or high fashion or edgy. And, um, you know, they, they put you in these situations and they want that natural reaction. So it's, it's at the time you don't know it. I'm taking it very seriously where I could have maybe had more fun with it. You go into everyday blind. You don't know what the challenge is going to be. Um, and you just have to say, yes, you have to do it. And so I got pretty tired 
Um, I got pretty burnt out. I made it through, um, the first like eight or nine out of, so I made it through half the show, um, uh, survived being eliminated and had, I don't think I got best photo ever <laughs> on it, but, um, but as far as like the girls went, I thought I had a pretty good chance of winning, you know? And, um, it was just kind of like one thing after the next. And I, like you had said, I'd kept having this like kind of starstruck reaction every time. Cause I'm like, you know, Oh, okay. This is what we're doing today. Okay. This is happening. And it was all really organic for me. You're just so tired. And I'm just like, Oh, it's just a lot on your, you know, on your psyche and on your, um, unless you're really sound and stable. And I didn't develop that really until after when I started finding myself and going through therapy and um, really trying to, um, take care of some stuff, do some housekeeping. But, um, I think I was just really tired on the show when I had gotten eliminated. That was really hard. That was really rough for me because I was like, wow. Yeah. And then the season was over and they put you on a plane back to LA and then route you back to Denver. And that was it. The show ended in Bali and we went straight home from there. There was no, I, I can't remember if they put us in a hotel for maybe a day or two in LA or if we just went straight home. But I remember, I think coming through customs with all this crap from Bali, my bag back in Denver. Um, so I'm pretty sure they just sent us straight home. And so I had to just decompress after that. Like, but you could, you couldn't, you could, yeah. you couldn't yeah. then be with your mom or with your people and go, Oh my gosh, this was this experience. Like, and process with people, you still, honestly, I don't know if I could do that part. (laughs) I know you like sign your life away that you, you absolutely must, but I cannot imagine how hard. Did you watch the show when it aired? Did you watch Um, your season? I did. I think I had a huge like watch party and I got cut out of the first episode. I wasn't even in it. So my mom was like, what happens? Where, where are you? I'm like, I don't even know because they don't tell you what they're going to do with the footage, you know? And I got cut out. So after that, I was a little ticked off because I was like, are you serious? Like I get cut off. So then I feel like I did watch it um, a few times. I didn't watch any after I got eliminated. I watched up to that point and then I never watched a single episode after that. Um, I went back recently and watched some of it on high speed on my phone, you know, cause I was like, <laughs> what are they doing here? Um, but yeah, it was really hard because my mom is like, you won, didn't you? You won. I knew it. And I'm just like, I can't say anything, you know? Oh, how it was hard. That's an interesting piece. Yeah. I wouldn't have considered like people thinking that you won and having to just be like, I don't know. <clears throat> yeah. Or say nothing. Poker face. Yeah. Yeah. Because I made it through, yeah, half the show technically. And then it was like, you can't say anything. And after that point, I was like, oh, so glad it was out of the way. But yeah. And so, yeah, when I was home those few months, I was, I was a little bit depressed when I first came home. I remember I didn't go back to work right away. Um, my mom just let me stay at her house and I just stayed in my room a lot of the time and I did not want to do anything because it was just such a... I had also gone through a pretty traumatic breakup right before the show with someone. And I never really fully healed from that before I even went on the show. And it was a very public, like humiliating, painful experience that I went through with that breakup. Um, And then I just jumped right into doing the show. And so there was just no time to like process or heal or, 
decompress from anything. And so I came home and didn't really know what my friends had been up to the last few months, didn't know what my family had been up to, didn't have a job. You know, you I was just like, I don't know how to explain it, but I, some people could just hit the ground running and got right into modeling or right into a contract or right into another gig. That fall, I was like, okay, I'm back to work. I, you know, something just came over me and I was like, all right, I'm going to really give this a shot now. Like I had a little bit of an Instagram following. I had a little bit of, you know, it was out in the open that I didn't win the show and I want to go, you know, it's out there. So that part is behind me and now I want a fresh start and I want to start modeling for real. So I was going to move to LA and I end up moving to New York, um, which I thought would be for two months, which is a really funny story because I didn't know anyone. Um, I bought a plane ticket and I took a suitcase and I was going out just for fashion week and I was living in a model apartment. So I thought, and I ended up staying there for five years (laughs) and it was awesome. It was a really cool experience. I was not used to getting recognized in the streets, um, which I thought was cool, but then I would go to a modeling agency and there were like the photos now, like looking back, I didn't have a real portfolio. I didn't have any digitals. I'm like embarrassed that some of my first audition or interviews with like agencies, I took my freaking portfolio from top model. And they were like, what is this? You know, (laughs) I'm like, Oh, I would have too. Yeah, I'm like, this is a big deal, right? Right. These are cool. I had no, yeah, I had no idea. I was just turned 21 and I didn't know a soul in that city. And um, yeah, people were pretty much laughing me out the door. They were like, no, because my hair had been shorter at that point and I had baby fat and I, I just looked different. Like, I, at that point, it's like, they do like that younger kind of whatever look. And I'm like, I fit all the built, you know, the mold for a model. I was, I still am 5'10", not still a double zero, but it didn't, you know, to me, I was like, that's all it takes, right? You know, you don't realize it takes just grit and usually people behind you, like a booker or an agent, like, yeah, I kept trying to get signed with agencies. I would write them. I'd fill out applications online. I would wait and I would go when they would have open casting calls in person and they would say, okay, where's your book? And I'm like, my what? And I didn't have a book. I didn't have... I didn't have anything. They're like, okay, well, we'll take your measurements. We'll take a quick headshot. We'll call you if we're interested. And I'm like, oh, great. And then I never hear back. And so it was hard. It was a little disheartening. And then I was sort of trying to find this balance between, okay, I'll give myself a little more time here. If I don't make it, maybe I'll move home. And then I was kind of craving, you know, a little bit of like companionship and you want this sense of normalcy. And so I'm like, start trying to date I did get into a relationship with a guy who was older. Yeah. So that relationship developed and it was not, um, you know, I I won't say it was like a terrible relationship. It was just, um, this person did not want the same things. They were also not, um, Christian at all. There were, I, that was another piece that I was struggling with to kind of the puzzle in my life was, okay, can I have a career? Can I have a relationship? What's the next thing? You know, maybe school. So I started going to school um, for health and nutrition and culinary. And I really, my, I really wanted to help people. And from there, I kind of made the decision where I'm like, okay, maybe I'm going to step back from social media and from modeling for a little while. And I took acting classes, which I really loved. Um, those are really fun and almost like cathartic because you can just lay it all out there, mm-hmm. you know, and then shut that part of yourself off and go home and go to bed. It's like, great. 
And so I tried to get into some commercial acting and I landed a couple background gigs in movies and where you're literally just paid to stand around for 12 hours and no talking parts whatsoever. And I just kept trying, you know, to see what would stick. And I was like, okay, I'm going to keep trying. If I'm going to be in New York, I'm going to do something. And then I'm trying to have this relationship that was not fitting right into my life. And like I've said, um, you know, a bird could love a fish, but where would they live? Like you don't want the same things. You don't believe the same things. You don't have the same end goals, though it might feel like it is, you know, it's better to just kind of sever that, which was what led me back to Colorado. I had tried. I gave it a really good try. I think for five years, I tried. I went down to Miami even. And, um, when I was living in New York to do some hair shows, because that's kind of the circuit is New York to Miami for swim week. And then maybe out to LA for some stuff, which they kept telling me, you don't have the look for LA. You're a little too high fashion. So I go back to New York. They're like, you're not high fashion enough. You have hips. So maybe you should go to Miami. So I just kept getting like sent Mm -hmm. around in a circle and I didn't know where I fit in really. So I was like, maybe I'll just take a step back. And I did for like a year and a half, two years. I didn't do any modeling, any photo shoots. Didn't even, I quit going to acting class. I was trying to just stabilize myself and think, okay, maybe this isn't for you. Maybe you just need to have a career and a family. And that's, that's your, you know, lot. Eventually I came back to Colorado. All my friends were here still kind of doing the same thing. And, you know, my family, some things had happened there and things were different, Um, yeah, I just kept feeling like, okay, something in my life is missing. And I should mention like during that time, um, I really got back heavily into prayer and just talking to God because I feel like I closed that part of my life off almost after the show, almost immediately. But yeah, so I was really just felt God start calling, you know, he was just calling my heart to be like, you know, you need to make a decision because, because if you're, you're staying in this relationship, you're not who you know that you are. You're, you're kind of changed a lot to become who I thought this person wanted me to be. And, um, and I thought, well, this is just normal because every relationship has its issues and every, you know, I couldn't, I truly couldn't really be myself. I couldn't open up and share a lot of stuff because that vulnerability, that person had a lot of issues with their own um, intimacy and opening up. And I think was really angry at God um, for a lot of reasons and was very vocal about what a joke the Christian church is and this and that. And I just thought, okay, well maybe I'll just be quiet. So I'll be accepted and I can have this relationship and force it in my own way. So yeah, I, I, towards the end, the last year, right before I moved back home, um, I was opening up and talking to a friend and she's like, I will, um, which is crazy because I met her at a bar and she ended up becoming a really close friend of mine. She's like, I will pray for you. Cause I told her I was going through all this stuff. And just to hear that all of a sudden it just like kind of broke me that I was like, wow, maybe that's what's missing is that I'm just not praying. I'm not talking to God. I'm not, um, out loud pouring into that part of my life. And I felt like it was a huge piece that was missing. I just started praying and I started listening to a podcast by, um, Redeemer church in Texas. And I would listen to that my whole drive to and from work. And it's almost like I had to shut it off as soon as I got home and I couldn't talk about it. And I was like, okay, (sighs) that's not right. You know, I was really depressed and I was drinking a lot. 
And so I was drinking by myself and I was really sad. And I was just like, this cannot be all there is. Like this cannot um, be the rest of my 20s, 30, whatever. So I went to this group for Codependence Anonymous and I went for a couple months and you hear other people open up and they talk about their stories. And um, I shared mine and people's jaws were literally on the floor when I'm like, was that bad? You know, I'm like, oh, is it that bad? You don't even realize until you say it out loud to strangers sometimes um, how much you've been through. Me and this person eventually like got into a huge, horrible fight, broke up. It was really, really ugly. I remember my mom saying, you know, I don't want to get too involved, but I think you need to come home to Colorado. And I was like, okay. So I bought a round trip ticket because I was coming back to New York. You know, I'm like, I'm not staying in Colorado. That represents everything that, you know, I was trying to get away from my, my whole life pretty much. And I was terrified to come back home because what if I didn't go back? What if it didn't work out with that person? And what if I had to stay in Colorado and face everything I had shoved down forever for the last five years anyway, six years. And, um, I remember I stayed for a week. I had no contact with that person. And then we got into a scuffle and I was just like, okay, I'm going to cancel my flight to New York. I don't know what that means. All my belongings were in that house at the time. I only came here with like a carry on and I stayed and I really, I was praying to God. I was like, give me the strength, give me the self-control, give me, you know, a sign that I need to be here. That did a number on me a little bit, but luckily I had been in therapy at that point for long enough. And I was reopening myself up to, um, you know, my relationship with God and getting back on my path of like, okay, he's definitely had his hand on my life this far. Um, and now it's up to me to do the rest of the work, you know, let go of some of that bitterness and resentment and forgive my mom and maybe my dad, even if he knows it or not. Um, and try and be that person that I needed growing up. So yeah. So the end of that summer, when I moved back 2019, I'm at a club and I'm drinking with my friend and I look up and I see this guy across the bar and I'm like, why do I know him? And, um, we locked eyes and something clicked in me at that moment. I was like, kind of like dancing or whatever. And I like stopped and I was like, I put my drink down and I left. I was like, okay, I'm, I'm done. Like I'm going to just go home. Something just happened that night. Um, it just felt different. As soon as we connected, that person reached out to me and he's like, did I see you last night at this club on Facebook? And I'm like, no, that wasn't me. <laughs> I said, no, it wasn't me. He's like, oh, shoot. He's like, I, well, okay. And then I, I was like, you're on a, because I knew when we had that connection, I'm like, oh man, if we start talking, this is it. Like I knew and I knew who it was and we had known each other. We knew of each other growing up. I think we had one class in high school together and then went our separate ways. And I eventually told him, yes, it was me. And he was like, well, are you single? Can I have your number? And I said, yes, I am single. And I'm would love to meet up with you in person. And, um, and we met in person, I think at like Avanti, like a couple days later. And it was just like, like the crowd parted and I saw him and I was just like, 
what the heck is happening? <laughs> and I made a friend go with me because I'm like, I'm not going to, you know, get attached to this person. But I had been praying really hard for God to send a man into my life who I just asked for it. I was bold enough to ask for it. I was like, who is a Christian, who works, um, who's driven, who wants a family, who um, is kind, is understanding, is um, will accept me for who I am and not try to change me or not try to run away when I tell them all this stuff about my life. And that's Jordan. That's who I got. We got married extremely quickly after that point. It's like three or four months and um, right before Christmas. And we had a really small ceremony with just super close family and friends. It was awesome. We He bought a house and I got out of the hospitality gig that I was in, which partly due to COVID, but partly also I think God just lining things up because it was not not being in the best environment. So um, that was another awesome um you know, step in the right direction for me. I model when I can, I get paid to do stuff now. Brands had started reaching out to me or friends or people in this market here were like, oh, why don't we, can you come model for this? And so it was, it's just, it's been really, all these things started lining up how I, how I would have wanted them to, but really it's how God probably wanted them to and not my way of trying to force it and move away to New York and do it my way. It's been quite the journey. And you know, five years ago or whatever, if you would have told yourself, this is what 2021 would look like for you, you probably would have been like, uh, what? Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. So like that, that nuance of life that we all have experienced in one way or another, but pretty drastically for you. Yeah. Do you feel like now kind of even looking five years into the future, what are parts of that that you dream about or that you are excited for? And and not just like circumstantial, but mm-hmm. just this piece of you that's kind of like settled in to who you are. Um, how does that change how you look at the future? Oh, yeah, that's a great question. Um I think something that had um that I I would have told myself one was just don't stay stuck um and know when it's time to move on and time to um keep moving forward and that was a huge piece for me and then another thing looking um to the future is I definitely feel um I feel like I'm more prepared to just kind of be who I am and not who everyone else, I I thought everyone else wanted me to be. Um, I think for so many years, even before being on the show, I was trying so hard to just please everybody and be who I thought people wanted me to be. And I thought that, you know, and, and that was the other thing, like I really... I did not like, I think I'm kind of hard to figure out sometimes. Like if you maybe look at me, you wouldn't know everything that I had been through. So people treated me a little differently and that kind of rubbed me the wrong way for a lot of years where people would pass me up or I didn't fit a certain mold because they just didn't, you know, or they would say things or make things up about me that I'm just like, you really don't know where I've been or what I've, you know, which is a testament probably to how I've learned to control, you know my 
emotions a little bit in my um, reactions. And one thing that stuck with me, a couple, I had two people say this to me. One was my acting coach and then one was my therapist. And I found out later it was because my acting coach went to the same therapist, (laughs) (laughs) which is so New York, but I, (laughs) I, um, she said, you know, imagine yourself as a child. And cause I would tell her all this pretty, you know, devastating stuff. And, and she would say, try to protect that child. What would you do to protect that child? Um, that just stuck with me. That blew me away because I just broke down because I saw myself as a kid and I'm like, wow, that is not how I would treat a child or how I would, you know, not taking care of my body the right way or letting people treat me a certain way or uh, putting myself through really grueling situations where it was just not safe or healthy at all. Um, So taking that piece into the next five years of my life still looks like that, taking really good care of your inner child. And um, now that I'm married, we want to have you know, a family and we want to have, um, and I think about that all the time looking into the future. I would just say, um, not staying stuck and being willing to continue seeking help. And that pretty much like, it's like a ball of yarn that just comes out and it's not jumbled up inside of me anymore. And I feel like, okay, now I can start helping other people because I finally broke through to myself and helped myself. And I have the confidence or the composure to say, okay, um, I still can do modeling here and there and I can still have a family and I can still go back to school and I can still now take time to help other people, which is my goal. Um, whether it's people in my family and trying to be a leader and get them, you know, unstuck or, letting them feel like they can come to me for things that they need. Um, like my sisters, I'm really, really close with them still. And I really try to be a mentor in their lives. And, um, and I do think that they look up to me and I think that I, I finally feel like I'm in a place where I can help other people. And it's, it's, just by the grace of God that I made it through all of that stuff to get to where I am now where I'm like, okay, I finally have two feet on the ground and my, you know, things are stable. I'm safe. I'm in a, you know, really loving and amazing relationship. And, um, and yeah, so now I just feel like now I can start, (laughs) you know, the, the work and the the life that I want and, and enjoy it and be able to create more of the life that I wanted. Um, it just took a lot of time, but yeah. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Juniper and Journey podcast. If you heard something that resonated with you or that you have questions about, we would love to hear from you. Follow us on Instagram at Juniper and Journey and slide into our DMs. It would be our treat and total privilege to chat with you. We all have a story. If you're interested in sharing yours here on the podcast, please reach out. Bye for now. Cheers. Cheers.